for the one and only time that I tried to leave. Sister with Wesley being old enough, had a driver's license. I thought it would work. But it didn't matter because we never got very far anyways. I never got out of the house, so. I met Helen Nasland for the first time in April of 2022. We sat in a sunny visiting room at the women's prison in Edmonton. It's hard to get permission to do a prison interview in Canada, and the setup wasn't ideal, so the sound isn't great sometimes. Helen was telling me about the one and only time she tried to leave her husband, Miles. Timing wasn't, didn't work out for us because Miles had been away. I don't know exactly where he was, in the field or somewhere. But when he came home and had all the bags packed and ready to go, that, that wasn't good. This would have been somewhere around the year 2000 when Wes, her eldest son, was a teenager. They didn't even get out of the house. When he came back and could see what was happening, it was, yeah, he just, just, yeah, it's just one of his uh, tirades or whatever you call it. I mean, he would, in those moments, he would just be completely unhinged. It was horrible, very, very terrifying. And what did that experience show you about the possibility of leaving in the future? <laughs> that it would never happen. I got locked in the bedroom for the rest of the day. and I knew never to do it again. Like there was, he was out on the other side of that door with a gun that was, uh, and I felt bad, like my, my biggest fear was this, I didn't have the kids with me. I would have told, you know, just... If I ever tried it and ever did get away, he would hunt me down and the kids and we would all die. would literally dispose of the kids while I could see it, and then I would go. It had taken more than a year for Helen to agree to meet with me, and then several weeks more to get permission to visit her at the prison. I'd only ever seen one picture of Helen, and I was struck by how small she is. Her eyes are almost shockingly blue, her face tanned and lined. At the time, she'd been in prison for 18 months. I think a lot about why someone would agree to talk to a reporter. It requires a huge amount of patience and trust. We talked for hours that day. Helen's story had gotten a lot of news coverage, but she'd never spoken to a reporter before. You can probably already tell how uncomfortable that kind of attention is for her. When I wrote to Helen, I told her that I believed her story could help other women. And that's what Helen hoped too. So even though she didn't want to talk to me, she said she would. I'm Jana Pruden, and this is In Her Defense from The Globe and Mail. Episode 2, 
Helen in Hell. About, about meeting Miles, what do you remember about the, that first meeting? Well, I was actually kind of going out with another guy. There was that's the only two men that I ever had anything to do with. Right? Like it was nothing serious. It was kind of just a a teenage high school fling. Um, and I guess he wanted to get to know me, so he kept following me around until he finally convinced me to go out with him. Helen's family moved around a lot when she was growing up. Little towns in Alberta, Exicum, Bentley, Meeting Creek. Helen wasn't really up for talking about her childhood, but I asked her sister, Sharon. Was it a, was it a happy household? Um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, it wasn't, uh, we didn't go without uh, it wasn't an abusive household. It it just there wasn't a lot of hmm, not a lot of nurturing. Mm. Like I'm assuming the older kids got more, but you know my parents were almost forty when I was born, mm. so they were grandparents soon after. Mm-hmm. Mom wasn't very healthy at times, and Dad was away, mm. away working. And, and so as long as we showed up for meals and were clean and dressed, and, mm. and of course, we always had chores. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. We, we just survived. Helen left home at 16 and stayed with her sisters for a while before getting a job at the mall food court in Camrose. It was 1981. She met Miles when she was 17. He was 20. Their relationship moved fast. She went to meet Miles's parents, and before long they were living together. I should say here that Helen has a poor memory. She struggles with dates and time frames, sometimes confuses the order of events. This isn't uncommon for survivors of domestic violence, who may be living with the physical effects of repeated hits to the head and the psychological effects of having endured serious trauma. So Helen really can't remember some parts of her life. Others, she's purposely tried to block out. But when she looks back, she thinks things must have been pretty good between her and Miles, at least at the beginning. And at, at some point in there, the relationship starts to change. Or yeah, things. I was working at the cafeteria and doing very well and got along good with the boss. And we went out after work, the two of us, once in a while, because we, you know, we enjoyed each other's company, so. Um, honestly, I think it was her that mentioned it to start with, that maybe I should take some caution and not be so serious about the guy. I don't know what she's seen in him, but I guess I should have taken her advice for sure. So I think we spoke about it several times. She finally convinced me to, you know, maybe ask him to, to move out and just chill for a bit, right? Just 
go our separate ways and see where it takes us. And that didn't go over very well for him. That's when it all started. Totally downhill from there. Needless to say, he didn't move up. <laughs> what can you tell me about that? When you say it didn't go over very well with him, what, what happened that day? It was a, a nasty day. Um, I guess he was, I don't know whether he was shocked, nervous, upset, scared, worried. I don't know what it was. But anyway, I guess he gave me the the guilt trip. Nobody cared about him, and you can't kick me out. And I got nowhere to go. I was a bitch, and I was all sorts of mean. It was, it was very cruel of me to do that. I, I <laughs> couldn't go very well. I can see it right now. Um, you know, it's a it's a difficult thing. It's a it's a obviously a reality in domestic violence relationships. It's a question that lots of people ask. You know, why doesn't she just leave at that point? Well, at that point, that was my place, so I wasn't going anywhere. I was paying the rent, so mm -hmm. that would have been stupid on my part to pack up and. Mm -hmm walk out when everything there was mine. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I guess I had a too big a heart. I, I felt sorry for him. Like I said, we, we shared the same goals. You know, our end goal in life was to farm and live in the country, and his parents were willing to help us get started doing that. So what happens from there? I just said I, f I felt sorry for him, and but I, like I said, I was really wanted to farm, and I thought, well, maybe this is just a hiccup. Can only get better. Can't get any worse. Helen and Miles got married in 1983. It wasn't a big affair; just a justice of the peace and a few relatives. Well, I guess the incident, initial incident, was kind of forgotten about, or not forgotten about, I guess, just put aside, right? It was, I decided to let him stay, and we just continued on from there. They found a farm near Holden, a few minutes down the road from where Miles grew up. It was everything Helen ever wanted. Um, yeah, it, it sounded really good. I thought everything was going to be great. His parents were... Very eager to help us and nice people. Like this. They give a lot. They were always there for us. Their first son, Wesley, was born in December 1984, and they moved onto the farm that spring. This was around the time that Helen's neighbor, Corlene LeClaire, would come over for coffee in the mornings. Corlene raised horses at local rodeos, and she invited Helen to come along and try it. Helen loved it right away. Things were okay. Then there was the rodeo in Hardesty. I don't know, we were later than expected coming home because it was a hot day, so after the rodeo, we took the horses swimming in the lake. <laughs> I don't This is really hard. I don't know, I just, you know, of course you get you get all wet, right? I didn't have extra clothes or anything, but Corlene, she had, she always kept extra clothes in her trailer. So she gave me some of her clothes to put on instead of 
even the wet clothes on. And when we got home, it just, that's when we just really come unglued. I have a hard time talking about it. Yeah, I understand that. And I don't, I don't want to make you have to, you know, relive everything and go through things that you don't, you know, just to go through them again. Yeah. Um, so I do understand that. Uh, that was the first time that he got very physical, as well as the verbal and the emotional abuse. After that first incident, had there been, you know, when you talk about the verbal and the emotional abuse, had there been signs of that or had it really sort of quieted down in between? Uh, no, there was signs of it. There yeah. was nothing real physical, more just mental and the controlling part of it. I was telling me what to do and really watching where I was. And Whenever I went to go down to Corleen's, he had to know exactly what I was doing and why and how long I was going to be. And so, and then we have this physical blow up. Um, did it surprise you? Uh, the first initial incident, yes, surprised me. But after it happened, no, I, I knew I was in trouble then. Helen was caught, stuck. Picture her so young, newly married with a little baby on the farm she'd always wanted. Well, that's when I should have left. But, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to do, where to go. Did you tell anybody? What had happened? Yes, I took Pauline. Do, do you remember... What she said or what she thought about it? Well, she wanted me to get leave too. He had threatened me to never say anything to anybody. So when I did tell her, she didn't dare confront him about it, right? And that's when he uh, he ordered me to that I had to. I did have a horse at that time of my own that I bought. I had to get rid of that, and I wasn't allowed to go on any events again. And then, to be I, you know, I didn't really want to leave where I was living. I was afraid of him, did not really that concerned about leaving him per se, but I didn't want to leave my environment, mm -hmm. what I had. And you have a baby. Wasn't, most definitely wasn't leaving Westland. So it just, you know, I just thought, well, do as he asks and not have a life of my own other than farming and togetherness with him. That was just how it was. Were you in contact with your family around that time? Very seldom. But that only lasted for a few years, too, and then that was not allowed anymore either. Like, I wasn't even allowed to go see my parents, so. Unless he was with, and I think maybe he went twice, and he didn't like going, so he didn't like them, and 
Since he didn't want to go, then I wasn't going. It's not certain her parents could have or would have helped. When Sharon told their dad about her own abusive marriage, he said, Well, Sharon, you've, how do you put, you've made your bed, now I guess you're going to have to sleep in it. I was raised with really old-fashioned values. So my marriage vows were really important to me. So it's not something that I really wanted to do because I didn't agree with, you know, divorces and such. And I already had a child. So that while here, you know, I'm, I'm just, this is where I'm at. And to make it easier on myself, I thought having more children would just make it easier, better. I would, <laughs> I'd have the kids and I wouldn't have to worry about having him. Their second son, Daryl, was born in 1988, and Neil four years after that. The babies didn't make it better. Helen didn't know what to do. She had so little contact with anybody outside the farm. When Miles and Helen married, the local women's shelter in Camrose didn't even exist yet, and other shelters in the province were surviving with meager budgets, sometimes turning away women and children for lack of space. By the way, that's actually still the case. Keep in mind that in those days, the vast majority of people didn't have email or internet. There were no smartphones, no Google. I really had no idea what to do. I had no contact with anybody that could help me find help or know who to talk to. Or I certainly couldn't talk to Miles. I mean, I had mentioned something that I was going to go. I, I wasn't going to, I didn't tell him I was going to the police or anything after that incident, but that I, you know, when I thought I should get out and they needed to go talk to somebody, that was when the threats come. You don't dare to say anything to anybody about this ever, right? While their family grew, Miles pushed to expand the farm. He wanted more, past what they could afford or manage. At some point, they had hundreds of cows, hens, and pigs, and farmed over 3,000 acres. It was a source of tension, the money, the debt. There was so much more work every time the farm expanded, but it always fell to Helen and the boys. Sometimes Helen would be working with one arm, a toddler underfoot and a baby on her hip or plopped in a snowbank. She knew it was dangerous to have the kids there with all the animals and the machines. She tried to be careful, but the work had to be done, and she had to do it. From the time the boys were old enough to work, they did it too. There was only the farm, only the family, only what Miles wanted them to do. When the kids were going to school, you know, usually kids could do, you know, do sports and extracurricular activities. That was not... Not at all possible. It was not allowed. Like it was, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to go to birthday parties. They weren't allowed to have kids over. I think 
at a couple of times I finally convinced them to let some kids come over, but it only happened a couple of times because the other parents had kind of, I guess, you know, rumors travel through small rural areas and it got so other parents were reluctant to let their kids come there. So they were kind of deprived of any of that growing up. It was hard because, uh, I don't know, Miles wasn't really the fatherly type, even when they were little, like he didn't want nothing to do with them. That was, you know, that was my job to look after them, but it was also my job to do all the chores and to be at his side continually doing all the other work too, which was really hard to balance. And it was, that caused a lot of fights and arguments and, I mean, anybody would know that it wouldn't be possible to do all those things, but it's still something that he had in his list of demands, right? That's just how it was. And if I couldn't help him, then he would sit in his chair and do nothing waiting for me. I mean, that, how, you, that doesn't work. I mean, how does stuff just doesn't get done that way? And um, the violence in that period, is it a regular thing? Is it occasional blow-ups? Uh, just occasional blow-ups, like when the kids were little. And I don't know, like I said, it's, it's, I don't know how much you want to put it, how much information you want. It's <laughs> There's a lifetime of stuff that yeah. you want to jot down in a few words. How do you do that? I don't know. There are almost 30 years of incidents, big and small, all mixed up and muddled together. Some dramatic, others just part of the daily life she was living. Helen wouldn't be able to list it all, even if she tried, and I didn't want to make her. Instead, I'll tell you what I know. There was punching, hitting, as a police officer would later put it so casually, Miles taking a round out of Helen over a game of cards. There were the things he did to her in the bedroom. There was work, work wielded like a weapon, until Helen and the boys were so exhausted they could barely function. There was the control, the degradation, the cruelty, and there was always the loaded gun. I wouldn't even want to try and go back and count the number of times that I've had a gun to my head and to actually hear that click. And I'll never forget that, that sound, knowing very well that there's at least one bullet, maybe more in that gun. And then he'd laugh about it afterwards. You know, it's next time I'll make sure that... So, yeah, we didn't dare. Helen and I wrote letters for months, and it was easier for her to open up in writing. Here's a section from one letter, when I had asked Helen about Miles's abuse of animals. I think it provides a glimpse of daily life on the farm. Here's what she wrote. Not really sure how to explain things to you without all the profanity, 
so I guess you will have to use your imagination and fill in blanks and read between the lines. One of the more serious times was every time we had to ship out market hogs. There were times we had a price dock because of excessive bruising or lacerations, all due to physical abuse inflicted upon them. I would always try to sneak out with one of the boys to try to get as many loaded as possible before Miles would show up. When Miles would get to barn, he would be hollering and swearing at us to, what's blanking taking so long? Are you blanking useless and stupid? Then everything would turn into a war zone, screaming, hollering at us and the pigs. Everyone was terrified. That made it that much harder to work with pigs because they were so scared. Things escalated from there very rapidly, such verbal abuse, then physical abuse to pigs and us. It would get so bad I would get whichever one of the boys was helping to leave so they didn't get hurt. That would piss Miles off, then things got worse. He would use whatever he could grab, piece of two-by-four, shovel, fork, pails, anything, and literally beat the pigs. At time I would be caught in crossfire, then he would get so mad and yell all kinds of words at me, telling me that I was not helping to get over here and help. When I would get close enough, he would shove me to the ground, hit me, kick me. It was very frightening. Then he would tell me to get the blank to the house. You are so blanking useless. But when I would go to leave, then he would become even more angered. He would grab me, throw me around, and be ordered to blanking help. I would be crying. Boys outside would be crying, all out of fear at that point. It was so horrible, I don't even know how to explain and put the scene into words. Continuing effects from this day would last for up to a week. The worst hell you could imagine. Another incident was we had a Jersey milk cow, and at times we used her for a nurse cow when we had a weak beef calf. Normally I would always do that and have not much for problems. Well, for some reason, time Miles had started with helping this calf. All the animals just seemed to sense Miles' demeanor and would be really edgy when he was around. When he tried to get the calf to suck, the milk cow kicked a bit. Oh my, just instantly Miles became mad, punched the cow while that just made her kick and fight trying to get away. Miles was getting madder and madder, beating on that cow so viciously until she dropped to the ground. The whole time I was pulling at Miles, trying to get him to stop. Finally, when the cow dropped, he sent me flying across the barn and left. Other events, if Miles was walking in the house or outside, and if our dog was laying down, instead of stepping over it or going around, he would just give it a kick. Was the end of it unless dog happened to growl or yelp a little bit. Holy shit, if that happened, the dog got beat until it was able to escape. I had bought a ferret for Neil. Miles was always pissed off that I had done that. Alice is what Neil had named her. We had so much fun with her. She was always running around the house, and for the most part quite friendly, with Neil and myself anyway. One day Alice came out, Miles was sitting in his chair, and she climbed up the back of chair and onto Miles' shoulder, then ran down his arm. Not sure why, but she nipped at his thumb. While all hell broke loose, Miles went insanely furious, yelling foul words at Neil, Alice, and myself. Grabbed Neil and ordered him to get that blanking ferret, because I'm going to blank and kill it. Well, Neil went and found Alice and took her and himself to safety. I was verbally abused and smacked around for buying the ferret. We all had to tread on thin ice and keep Alice clear away from Miles. Needless to say, we had to get rid of Alice. We were threatened if we didn't do it. Also, for the safety of Alice, we gave her away. 
It wasn't fair for Alice or us. Helen thought she did a good job of hiding what was happening, but people knew something was going on, even if they didn't know what to do or say about it. They saw it in Helen, in how quiet she was, how she tried to hide and disappear. They saw it in the boys, in their anger, in how they fought and raged. So many people must have known or suspected. The people they sold those pigs to, the boys' teachers, Kids at school and their parents, Lawrence and Patty at the hotel, Corlene across the fields. But like Sharon said, no one knew the worst of it. And as the family grew more isolated, there were fewer and fewer people around. There was no way Helen could see to get free. No option available. Just uh, no first steps. No idea what to do. I, I seriously didn't think I had any options. It was, I am in the middle of nowhere, basically, right? What am I going to do? Grab the kids and start walking? Where am I going to walk to? Where am I going to get? Do you remember at some point in your relationship, whether it was, you know, early, that very first incident in the apartment, if it's the incident at the farm, do you remember um, becoming aware or fearing that he could kill you? Um, yeah, I think I had that feeling right from the start that he could, yes. Um, and as years went on, you know, the, the fear and got more intense, right, because it was, you know, his outbursts and stuff became more, and I I knew what he was capable of. I mean, it was more than twice my size. I didn't dare, you know, try to stand up for myself or talk back to him. I just, I, it's something that it was just, I don't know how to put it into words. You know, some people say that saying you fear of God or whatever. I don't know. It's just it's just something that was known by all of us. Right. I don't after it. I don't. I why I don't know. Um, from continual threats, I guess. I, I mean, it's not like he didn't. He didn't keep that a secret. It was. He didn't have a problem saying you do this or else you'll pay or and then eventually it turned to I'll kill you or. He would use the kids to get what he wanted from me because otherwise I'll kill those fucking kids. I've thought a lot about how Helen could have gotten away from Miles. Even if she made it to a domestic violence shelter, what would she have done then? And there was always something she loved at the farm. Her sons, her animals, always something Miles could use against her. You know, even if I wasn't there, he still had control over me just in a different way, you know, maybe one of, the, one of the children were there, or he was with somebody else that meant lots to me. It's just, so it's just, I didn't dare not come home at night, because 
whatever that hold he had on me was was in jeopardy. It's just I didn't want to sacrifice anyone or anything to you know to make an event happen that would turn out tragic. Helen didn't want anybody else to be hurt by her leaving. There was only one other way out that she could see. I don't think it was that long after Wesley left, probably. I don't know for sure how long, but it was when I, my first attempt to suicide was. I mean, I thought that was my only other option. Probably one of the, the only times I thought about myself rather than somebody else. Helen survived and a doctor sent her to counseling. When Helen looks back on it, she only ever saw three ways out. One was that time she tried to leave. The second was suicide. And then there were these counseling sessions. You know, I think at one point I was in a position where I was very close to getting that help, but it got you know, shut down when I was seeing that psychologist there for a while and um, you know she wanted to help and she wanted to meet Miles to see if we could kind of sort our lives out and he I don't even I'm surprised that I managed to convince him to go I'm sure he had his own reasons that he didn't tell me about that he did go and I found out afterwards yes it was just to fulfill his own suspicions and I wasn't allowed to go back. And it's like, that's when the last door closed. I mean, even knowing some of the resources that are out there, when I think about a situation like yours and the level of risk that you were at, and other people, so your sons and their families, and I mean, it's it's hard to think of how a person in your situation could find a way out. Uh, yeah, it's it's just like there was no way out. Like it was, and like I said, it was. Uh, yeah, I thought. Yeah, if only, right, for hindsight, if we could go back and do it again, I would do it differently. What do you think you would do? Well, I think I would have, that counselor I was seeing was, was a big help, and I think I would have given her more to go on to, you know, start a process on the outside. might have turned out badly, who knows? I don't know. By the early 2000s, the farm was in bad shape. They were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. They sold land and equipment and animals, paring down until they had almost nothing left. No more chickens, no more rented land, no more pigs just a few cows and the home quarter of land. 
Helen went to work in Camrose, working long days at a farming and industrial supply store called A1 Rentals. It may be tempting to think that being away from the farm would be better for Helen, that it would give her more of a chance to get help, to plot getting away. But being away from Miles actually made it worse, not better. He would stew about what she was doing, continually calling the store, grilling her when she got home about who had been in, everything that had happened, making her account for every minute of the day. The closer I could be to him, the, the safer I was, so to speak. It doesn't really make sense, but I guess I knew that it was a reassurance to him that I wasn't doing anything wrong as long as I was within his reach or his sight, right? It's, when I wasn't in his sight, that's when I was in more fear. Because I never knew what was going through his mind, but he thought. Because I'm sure he made up continually. If I wasn't around, you know, he just... I don't think his mind worked properly. I seriously don't. They started a trucking business, but even with the boys working and Helen doing long days at the store, they were barely hanging on to the little they had left. And Miles was worse than ever. I didn't give up, no, because I didn't, certainly didn't give up. I was still working lots. Um, I don't know, I just... Got to the point where there was nothing left. I was just broken. Nothing mattered anymore. Miles was in a drunken rage on the evening of Sunday, September 4th, 2011. He ordered Helen around with his gun and threw wrenches at her when a tractor broke. Later, he swept their entire dinner onto the floor and told her it wasn't fit for a dog. I mean, it was a a shitty day, but whether it was something out of the usual, no, not really. I mean, it was pretty much normal. I don't, I don't know how to describe how I felt. I just, other than just, I, because I, I don't want to use the word give up because I don't think I did give up. I don't know. It just, it was weird. I just. There was nothing left. It was, just, it was hollow. That night, two gunshots cracked through the house. Miles was dead, and Helen was standing in the hallway in her nightgown, screaming. Next time on In Her Defense. You know what? I, I don't. I don't think I really thought about it much. When he went missing, I knew he wasn't missing because he wouldn't have done that. There's no control in walking away. And my backhoe went to the farm. Because I have a rental company, he won rentals. And it's out at the farm. What do you need, you need my backhoe for? Oh, you've got sewer problems. Well, that's when they dug the They dug, used my hoe to dig the, bury the car. Yeah, then all hell broke loose again. It's like the, the can opened up. 
In Her Defense is made by Kasia Mihailovich and me, Jana Pruden. Field recording by Amber Bracken. Our executive editor is Angela Pachenza. Special thanks to head of visual journalism, Matt Frainer, and head of editing, Ian Bokoff. Our theme song is The Fighter by Jen Grant. Arrangements by David Crosby. In Her Defense is recorded at McEwen University by Sheena Rossiter, Sasha Stanoyevich, and Emily Rubaita. Sheena Rossiter and David Crosby mixed this episode. Additional technical production by Jay Coburn. You can email me at jprudeen at globeandmail.com. To learn more about this podcast and domestic violence in Canada, go to tgam.ca slash inherdefense. That's defense with a C. If you're experiencing domestic violence and want to talk to someone, you can find resources and your nearest shelter at sheltersafe.ca. To support our journalism, consider subscribing to The Globe and Mail. Our listeners get a special discount on new subscriptions at www.globeandmail.com slash podcast deal. Take care and thank you for listening.